So as I said at the beginning of the service, if you walk on in late, I've been told that there are those of you who know Rabbi Pierce, who met Rabbi Pierce, spent time with Rabbi Pierce, and I, I am no Rabbi Pierce. But I'm the speaker tonight because we mispublished in the Chronicle. And he will be uh, speaking uh, with us uh, next month and be part of our team, which we'll be announcing in new ways that we're very excited about. But I'm glad to have a chance to teach you this Shabbos. Three nights ago, thousands of people walked by our house as we stood outside, candy in hand, greeting the children of the neighborhood, many who came from outside that neighborhood, from different parts of the city, just to take in the sweetness of Lake Street. It was incredible. There was Wonder Woman, the Incredible Hulk. Every single Harry Potter figure walked by. And there were also still those traditionalists, ghosts, goblins, witches, and otherworldly scary mythical figures. And of course, none of us were afraid, as they should have been, of the nutritionally empty calorie treats we festooned them with. And few found it strange that two rabbis would be participating in this neighborhood celebration that has its roots in paganism and Christianity, but has been so religiously sanitized that now truly is an American secular celebration. The notion of otherworldly forces, ghosts and goblins and witches and warlocks that have their own independent power is something that Judaism, which is radically monotheist, clearly rejects. When we say the Shema each time, we affirm that there is a holiness that pervades existence, and that holiness is one. We use the word God to name it, and in all of our texts we acknowledge that God, which makes a covenant of goodness with everyone, also makes possible non-goodness, right? Take the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, or the choices that Joseph's brothers made when they cast him in that pit, each potentiality comes from the one. But who has the power to choose? It's our power. And yet, the idea of God being alone in the universe, that too is questioned by Jewish tradition. Just a few weeks ago, we read in Sefer Breshit, in the book of Genesis, the very first portion of the Torah, and the rabbis have to respond to this very challenging statement directly in the text, in which God says, Na'aseh Adam. What does that mean? Let us make Adam. And they have to wonder, who is the us? And some don't conclude that God is speaking in the royal we, a la Queen Victoria. But instead, they say that God is addressing the angels. Yes, our tradition does allow for a belief in those otherworldly figures. When do we meet them? 
When Jacob wrestles with a divine being before going to make peace with his brother Esau, we just sung about them when we sang Shalom Alechem, Malchei Hasharet, Welcome to you, angels of Shabbat. And even Flip Wilson's favorite, who said, the devil made me do it. Even Hasatan is mentioned as an angel in the book of Job. So it's there. And to make my point, the portion this week, Vaira, has angelic beings all over it. They come to visit Avram and Sarai, who greet them and exhibit the value the Abram and Sarah do of Haknasat Orchim, welcoming guests, including strangers, showing them hospitality. It's these same angelic figures who announce that Sarah will have a baby, though she's in her 80s. They're also the ones who go to Sodom and Gomorrah and destroy that city at God's command because of its profound injustice. And it's an angel that opens Hagar's eyes to help her see that there was a well nearby all the time when she thought, abandoned in the wilderness, that she would die of thirst. The angel lets her see hope. And then that angel we read about every Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, I mean. <laughs> what does that angel do? Malach Adonai, it says. An angel of God calls out to Abraham and says, do not even bruise that boy, but abandon human sacrifice and go forward as a bracha, as a blessing. So it's all there in our texts. So what does someone who's hyper-rationalist like Maimonides do? Well, in looking at this material, in his Guide of the Perplex, he writes as well about the existence of angels. And he responds to this biblical reading by teaching that the word angel is a metaphor for force or intelligence that permeates existence. In the Guide, he states, there's no doubt that the word angel is used to be messenger. It's also used for ideals perceived by the prophets and prophetic visions and of humans' own animalistic powers, as he'll explain later, he says. When we assert that scripture teaches that God rules this world through angels, we mean such angels that are identical with intelligences. You see, for Maimonides, like Aristotle, God's providence is manifest all the time. As the force of nature, like gravity, or wisdom, reason permeating existence, it flows through all the times, and he calls those forces that send support to us, what does he call them? They're angels. The challenge, he says, for humanity is will we appreciate the message that the angel is bringing to us? Maimonides sees these forces all of them deriving from God. And yes, the Satan too, as expressed in Job, is a servant of the one and is limited. There is no separate power, but those angels bless us and they test us. So from this perspective, they're everywhere. And they're bringing you messages of meaning and hope all the time. And perhaps at times you, though you may not even realize it, 
are serving that same function for someone else. In his famous meditation in our prayer book, we didn't read it tonight, after Shalom Aleichem, Rabbi Lawrence Kushner writes, and so we understand that ordinary people are messengers of the Most High. They go about their tasks in holy anonymity, often unknown to themselves. Yet if they had not been there, if they had not said what they said or did what they did, it would not be the way it is now. Never forget that you too may be such a messenger. When I consider this teaching, I sometimes think of something very simple I read about a long time ago. It's a story about how a little boy was invited by a Jewish family to do some errands for them in New Orleans. And he was such a compelling kid and so helpful. And they noticed that he liked music. They gave him his first coronet. I suppose that they had no idea that that little act for that then little boy would help encourage him to become the most influential jazz musician perhaps of all time. It was Louis Armstrong. He got his first coronet from a lower middle class Jewish family. Their kindness like the angels brought forth a possibility inside that man that changed the world. How transformative it would be for ourselves if we saw ourselves as both being surrounded by angels and maybe having the angelic within us. Maybe prayer helps open that gateway of understanding. Maybe this learning helps us recognize that we need to welcome the other as a potential angel just as Abraham and Sarah did. Maybe you can recognize as Rabbi Krishna teaches a little part, an act on our part can change someone's life. The job of the angel is in the moment. And Maimonides, as rationalistic as he was, he taught that we, in the good that we do, we bring God's presence manifest. We can be the bracha, the blessing, be the messengers of the Most High, not dressed in a costume, not wearing wings, but bringing forth the goodness of ourselves, the hope of life. So may we be Shabbat Shalom.